Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description below this video or online at fellowshipgj.com. Or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. So my family was a musical family, okay? And, and I know you might think, oh, that means they're just singing songs and playing instruments all the time. That's not what I mean. So my family growing up was a musical family, as in we really liked musicals. Now, as a 35-year-old married man, I, it's probably not okay that I know so much about musicals. Uh, I, I know all about them because as the youngest of three by a wide margin, it meant one thing. You didn't always get to pick what was on the TV. And what was on the TV a lot in my home was musicals. Now, it, it, we, we either watched musicals or we watched nothing. And I'm not going to lie. I kind of like them. They're pretty good, okay? I, I kind of enjoy them quite a bit. And yet when you think musical, you might think like the more recent ones, like Disney stuff. Disney has a lot of music. Frozen. Oh, my goodness, my daughter went through a season of Frozen. I'm so glad she let it go. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Uh, you know, then there's Encanto that came out recently, but that's the one we don't talk about, okay? Obviously. And, but peak Disney was clearly early 90s Disney. You had Aladdin with a whole new world. You had Lion King with Hakuna Matata and a circle of life. An underrated one, in my opinion, is Tarzan, okay? Phil Collins did that soundtrack, I think. Now, he didn't need to try as hard as he did on that soundtrack. It was a kid's movie, but he nailed it, okay? Now, these aren't the types of musicals my family was into. We're talking older ones, okay? You had ones like Grease. You had things like Wizard of Oz, saying, we're off to see the wizard, the wonderful Wizard of Oz, okay? We have Sound of Music. I can't tell you how many times I've been hiking and I've had to break out in song. The hills are alive with the sound of music. That's the only part of the song I know. But every time I hike, I have to sing that song. You've got song, uh, plays like musicals like Fiddler on the Roof uh, with uh, Topple singing Tevia, and he goes, If I were a rich man, bum. Okay, Julia will, will attest to this. Anytime she's mad at me, or I think she's kind of mad at me, I sing from this, from this play. I go, Do you love me? <laughs> and she's supposed to respond, Yes, I love you. But she doesn't. Okay, she just... I'm going to throw her under the bus a little bit. She doesn't like musicals all that much. It's been a hard part of our marriage, but we're getting through it. So, My Fair Lady, Audrey Hepburn, you've got uh, The King and I. My brother actually played The King in The King and I in high school. And so you've got all these plays. So I call my, I text my family throughout. I'm like, what's the overall consensus favorite one? This is what they came up with. One called Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. This is a very old play. 
I don't blame you if you've never heard of this play before. 1950s, uh, Howard Keel, Jane Powell, and there's a song in there that he sings to her, and it goes a little bit like, bless your beautiful hide. If you're going to write a romantic song to a, a woman, please don't use the term hide, okay? That's probably not going to work out for you. But my favorite as a kid, I remember watching on TV, of course, because our Broadway injunction is just a, a, a Broadway in the Redlands, not a theater mecca, uh, but is one, and it had Donny Osmond in it, and it was called Joseph and the Amazing Technicolored Dreamcoat. This one was so much fun. I love this Bible story to begin with. But then the play had all these fun songs in it. Every song was a different theme. There was a Western theme, a Beatles theme, an Elvis theme. I don't know. It was just a ton of fun. And today I want to look at the story of Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I really hope you like the Osmonds because it's going to be a blast. But there's not going to be any more singing. I'm sorry. But the story of Joseph has so much we can learn from it in regards to offense. Now Luke 17.1 says this, It is impossible that no offense should come. So offenses are going to come. You know, last month we did Same God, New Me. And I'm sure a lot of us have gone into this new year going like, a new me, a new me. The problem is, new you, same people in your life. New you, but same annoying boss. New you, but same frustrating drivers. New you, but same husband, same kids, same neighbors, same family. It can be difficult because the offenses will still come. Offenses start from mistreatment of some kind. Now, you might have been somebody who was actually mistreated, or you might just be someone who seems, thinks they were mistreated. It doesn't really matter. Either way, offenses are going to come. And here's the thing we need to know about offense. Offense is inevitable, but letting go of it is optional. What we do with the offense when it comes is up to us. Offense is something we need to let go of. A different version of the same verse in Luke says this, stumbling blocks, temptations, and traps said to lure one to sin are sure to come. So we see here that offense is one, it's a temptation to sin, and two, it's a trap that keeps us stuck. So we've got to figure out how to move past the offenses in our life because we don't want, A, to sin because of that offense, but also we don't want to get trapped. If we want God's plans for our lives to be unleashed, then we can't afford to let offense get in the way of it. Here's where Joseph's story comes in. So Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had Joseph. Now, Jacob had a lot of sons. He had, in the end, 12 of them. That's a lot, okay? That's a lot of mouths to feed. And so here's Jacob, and he has many sons, but he picked one to be his favorite. Now, I know we all have a favorite kid, okay? We just don't tell everybody. We don't tell them which one of them is our favorite, but you know which one is your favorite. Jacob doesn't keep it quiet. He is very blatant about this. He is obvious. He, he says, of all of my many sons, which he had many of them, Joseph is my favorite. He educated Joseph. He gave Joseph the best jobs. He even gave Joseph this fancy coat. It, it probably looked a little bit like this uh, thing. Now, it meant something different back then, for sure. It's very difficult to make back then. It was really special. But see, Joseph was the favored son, and his brothers didn't like it. 
And now it goes one step further. Joseph goes to bed one night, and he has these dreams. And he wakes up in the morning and explains these dreams to his whole entire family. And the dreams basically meant, at some point in the future, my entire family will bow down to me. And so the brothers begin to pick up an offense. They get jealous, and they come up with a plan. And the plan is, we're going to kill this dude. That's the plan, okay? It's not a great plan. It seemed reasonable to them. But we look in Genesis 37. It says, when Jesus, or Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him. You thought your kids had some sibling rivalry, okay? Be grateful that they just threw rocks at each other. You can see the bitterness and the offense in this verse. Here comes the dreamer, they say. And it continues at some point and goes, why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. This is some dumb boy logic is what this is, okay? This is what happens when 10 dudes are out in the wilderness with no buddy else to give them wise counsel. They're like, let's throw him in a well. Then the well will kill him. We didn't kill him. The well did it. That's basically what they're saying here. And the brothers take the trap of being offended because of jealousy. Joseph didn't do anything to them. He was just there. But they still picked up an offense. And they tried to kill their brother. Now, we don't necessarily try and kill the people who offend us. We might think about it, but we don't do it. But listen to this in Matthew 5. It says this, You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you, anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Now, I know we get frustrated with people. We get frustrated with our spouses, our, our kids, workplace, family, even our church at times. But it's one thing to be frustrated, and it's another thing to be angrily, bitterly resentful. How many times, though, in our life have we just killed a relationship because of an offense? We, we thought that what they did was a great enough offense that I no longer want anything to do with that person or that place. How often have we killed a relationship, ended a friendship, left a church, excommunicated a family member because of that holiday dinner, because of that phone call, because of that moment, and we feel like we are right in killing off that relationship because of an offense. But we have to be careful. We've got to be careful that we aren't making these decisions just based on offense. Now, forgiveness is what we're talking about. Letting go of an offense takes forgiveness. And forgiveness, though, doesn't mean that we let them back into our life completely. It doesn't mean that we have to trust them the same as we did. We can set up boundaries. If you need to know a little bit more about boundaries, there's a great book called Boundaries that you can get in the bookstore. Pastor Tim did a great message on it as well. But we're going to jump back into our story, and it says that after the brothers threw Joseph into the well, some Ishmaelites were passing, and they have the thought, we could let him die, or we could make a little cheddar off of him. We could sell him. That's what they thought. And so they sell Joseph into slavery, and he goes to Egypt. Now, This is a big deal. When you're born into something, it's all you ever know. But Joseph is 17 years old at the time. He has lived a very good, cush life as the favored son of a very wealthy man. And all of that gets stripped away. And he goes from being this high-favored son 
all the way down in a moment to a slave. This is going to be a major culture shock to him. Picture the, the Kardashian family all of a sudden having to move to a third world country. That's kind of what we're talking about here. And Joseph now has to be a slave. And he's, he works for this one person for 10 years. 10 years he works as a slave. I, didn't, I barely had my first kid 10 years ago. It feels like I've been a servant for like the last 10 years, though. I wonder. But we can tell that Joseph has the opportunity in this moment to be offended, to pick up the offense. We can tell he could do that, but he doesn't. He's working for a man named Potiphar at this time, and you can tell that he works hard, he doesn't hold on to the offense, and he gets put in charge of Potiphar's entire household. But there is one problem. You see, Joseph has uh, what the kids today, uh, as I'm told, call it accidental riz. Accidental riz, if you don't know what that means, means you are attractive, but you can't help it, all right? Gentlemen, we understand this, right? You get it, okay? Now, we've all been there, but the problem is, is somebody took notice, and that someone is Potiphar's wife. She takes notice of Joseph, and so she starts putting on the moves on him. She tries to get him to lie with her, and finally at one point she corners him, grabs his tunic, and says, come to bed with me, and all Joseph can do is run. With her, his tunic in her hand, she cries rape, and he gets thrown into prison. This is the second offense. It's someone who wanted something from someone and was denied, and then they became offended. Now Potiphar's wife, yes, she wanted Joseph's body, but let's dig a little bit deeper. She probably just needed some attention. She wanted to feel love. She needed to feel wanted. And Joseph, rightfully so, denied her this. But because she needed something from him, and she, he denied it, she became offended. Accused him of assault and throws him into prison. This is an offense that we can often pick up. We expect other people to fulfill our needs. We have needs, and we want our spouse, our kids, our boss, our family, our friends, we want them to fulfill those needs. And when those needs don't get met, we can become offended. And much like Potiphar's wife, we throw them into relationship prison. We don't kill off the relationship, but we do put them in prison. Now, gentlemen, husbands, we understand what the marriage relationship prison is called. That is called the doghouse. We know what that is. But in all seriousness, the offense comes so often in a marriage. The spouse is working hard, working late hours, and, and they're doing that to be able to provide for their family, but the other one, instead of seeing that, sees the unmet needs. The unmet needs, the feeling of neglect, the feeling of unlove. So they begin to put them in relationship prison. They dishonor them. They, they, they distance themselves. They kind of give them the cold shoulder for a while. Our children sometimes we just need them to clean their rooms every once in a while. That's all we need them to do. But they don't meet our needs. And so we can put our kids into relationship prison. All of a sudden, we're going to be like, I'm frustrated with you. So that means for the next two days, you're going to notice. I'm going to be a little bit short with you. I'm not going to be as affirming or attentive. I'm not going to be as affectionate to you. And we put our kids, because they offend us with those unmet needs, in a relationship prison. Sometimes it happens with our extended family. They're not around as much as we want them to be, and so we just start pulling back. We make our visits and our communications shorter and less frequent. But 1 Peter 3 says this, don't pay people back with evil for the evil they do to you. They, 
we get this way, though. They didn't meet my needs, so I'm not going to meet theirs. And we can pick up offenses when someone close to us doesn't do what we want them to or need them to. And then we put them into relationship prison, much like Potiphar's wife. We continue on in our story. So now Joseph has gone from favored son to slave to prisoner. Prison in Egypt is not like our prisons. Okay, our prisons are like the four seasons compared to what Joseph had to go through. What Joseph's prison was, was pretty much a dark, cold cave where you probably couldn't stand up completely. They gave you enough bread and water to keep you alive so that you could suffer longer. And once again, Joseph gets dealt this hand where he's just, he's not dead, but man, it's, it's not much better than that. And he gets to wallow in prison, not for just a few days, not just for a few months, but for years. Joseph was a smart person. I'm sure he assumed he's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. As a foreign slave, accused of assault, of a high-ranking official's wife, he's probably just glad he's not dead at that point. But he knows he's not getting out of there anytime soon. So, once again, though, Joseph has the opportunity to hold on to the offense. Potiphar's wife did him wrong. He could hold on to that offense. But we see that he's making the best of his situation. In Genesis 39, it says this, Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. So he has, he's making the best of it. You can tell he's not holding on to that offense because things are still going well for him. And about a year after this, he gets put, he, after, a year, he, after the year he gets put in prison, two men approach him. Both of these men used to work for Pharaoh. One was a cupbearer, and one was a baker. And they each had dreams, and they wanted an interpretation. And so Joseph gives them interpretations of their dreams. Now, the cupbearer had a dream, and its interpretation was, hey, in three days, you're going to get out of prison, and you're going to get your job back, and you're going to go, be, go back to being the Pharaoh's cupbearer. The baker, hearing this, is like, well, that's great news. Here's my dream. And Joseph goes, uh... Not quite the same interpretation. Uh, in three days, you're going to die. You're going to get executed. That's what he has to say to this man. And that's it, what Joseph interprets is exactly what happens. In three days, the cupbearer gets his job back, and the other one, the baker, gets executed. I'm sure at this point, when Joseph sees that the cupbearer gets put back into the Pharaoh's court, Joseph thinks, this is my ticket out of here. I'm I'm good. He's going to tell Pharaoh what he saw, and I'm going to get out of here. But it says in Genesis 40, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Joseph now has the opportunity to be offended with another person. And this is an offense we can pick up too. It's an offense of broken promises. Who didn't come through for you, leaving you waiting for help in the dark? Maybe it was a boss promising better hours and a better, better schedule, and it's been two years and nothing's changed. It's a spouse who said, hey, I, I'll help out around the house more. That's what I, I'll do that, and it's been two months and nothing's changed. Maybe it's a friend who promised, hey, I'm going to be there for you, and all of a sudden you need them, and they're not there. Proverbs 25 says, a person who promises a gift but doesn't give it, it's like clouds and wind that bring no rain. Joseph spent two more years in prison because a person didn't come through. What do we do? What do we do when that promise unfulfilled 
keeps us stuck in our situation? What will we do with that offense? Because that one is so hard, because that offense is a daily reminder. It's a daily reminder. I'm still here. I'm still stuck in this situation because of them. And Joseph had two more years in prison to think that, to hold on to that offense. He had a chance to give up, to take the trap of the offense, to give up, just give up on God's plan, pick up that offense. But he continued to live, to make the best of his situation. And two years later, the Pharaoh has a dream. Now, Pharaoh has a dream that no one else can interpret. He's asked his wise men, he's asked his magicians, he's tr- asked a lot of people for the interpretation. No one can help him. And it says in Genesis 41, finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. It's about time. Now, Joseph is brought to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells him his dream, and he interp- Joseph interprets the dream. This is the interpretation. Seven years, you're going to have just booming crops, booming economy. Everything's going to go well for you. You're going to have an over and abundance of food. Things are going to go well for seven years. But then everything's going to drop out in the next seven. A, f- a fierce famine is coming. You're gonna, everything's going to die off. You need to prepare in the first seven years to make sure that you have enough to live off of and to eat for the next seven years. This was the interpretation that Joseph says to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is so impressed that he goes, okay, well then that's a great idea, Joseph. You do it. In fact, here, I'm going to make you the second most powerful person in Egypt, and you make sure this happens. And Joseph does exactly that. He plans wisely. He makes sure that in that next seven years that all of the food is stored correctly, and they save enough. And all of a sudden, when that famine hits, they're ready. But the famine didn't just hit Egypt. It hit all of the surrounding areas, and somebody else got hungry. The brothers. Joseph's family gets hungry. They don't have any food. The famine hit them too. And so the Joseph's brothers have to come to Egypt to try and get some food. And the brothers come before this powerful official in Egypt. They get down on their knees and they bow down before him because they didn't recognize who he really was. Justice. We're there now. Joseph's got him. Finally, we go in full circle, and he's going, I've got him. And we're thinking, I'm sure each of our minds were just like, oh, yeah, here it comes. He's going to get him. And Joseph had the power right then. He could have said, let's kill him. He could have said, let's put him, let's make them slaves. Let's put them in prison. Everything that happened to me, I want to do to them. No one would have batted an eye if that's what he said. He could have got right back at him. Think about that cupbearer. That cupbearer kept the second most powerful man in Egypt in prison for two more years. Think about Potiphar's wife. She's having a cup of tea with her girlfriends, and all of a sudden they're like, did you hear about that new, that new person that Pharaoh just put in charge? And all of a sudden she realizes the person she falsely accused is now that person. Joseph had so many opportunities to get back at the people who offended him. I'm sure they all assumed it was coming too. But this is how we know Joseph wasn't offended. Every chance Joseph had to retaliate, and get even, he chose to let go of the offense and hold on to God's plan. This is an end game for us. This is what we really need to think about when we're thinking about the offenses in our lives, is we need to put ourselves in Joseph's position. If our offenders were there in front of us and we had the power to get revenge, what would we do? Would we take it? 
Would we get our revenge? Would, would we celebrate? Would we lord it over them? Would we be like, good riddance, you're going to get what's coming to you? Or would we be like Joseph? See, to know if you've truly let go of an offense, you need to ask yourself, how would I feel if, not necessarily when, but if that person got what they deserved? How would you feel if that boss got fired? How would you feel if that scammer got prison time? How would you feel if that politician got kicked out of office? But see, if we can't let go or forgive an offense unless that person has faced justice or got what's coming to them, then you're going to live a very offended life for a very long time. But the Bible says that we need to do things different. Colossians 3 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Not just the people closest to you and not just the people furthest away from you. Forgive anyone who offends you. And this is why it says, forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, don't forget, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. This is so crucial in today's time. This world is a world of offense, but we now have the opportunity to look a little bit more like Jesus and a little bit less like the world by forgiving those who offend us. And we see in Joseph's story that he chose forgiveness. We wrap it up in Genesis 45. He says this to his brothers, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Joseph didn't allow the offense to trap him and keep him from God's plans. He trusted God. Now, we all have those offenses, I'm sure. We all have those things that are coming to mind, maybe even right now, that person that did that thing. And I'm sure if we had time for you to each tell me what happened, we'd go, you, have the, you absolutely have the right to be offended for what they did. I'm sure that happened. My, my parents split when I was 14 years old, and, and I had to walk through so many of those things of how my parents handled it, how my siblings handled it. There was a fence that came. When I, when I had one of my first jobs, I worked extra for that guy, and I worked my butt off, and all of a sudden, he fired me and cut my paycheck in half before, as I was walking out. You know how I know that was God's plan, though? Was my next job was Chick-fil-A, which meant I got to eat a lot of free chicken, okay? God's plans. God's plans right there, okay? He is faithful. Offense with friendships. Man, I've had friends come and go. But we have a choice of what to do with the offenses because we can't allow ourselves to get trapped by the offense that comes our way. We have to resist that temptation to want to hold on to it. James 4, 7 says this, So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves before God. Let it go. Give it to him. Let him take care of the offenders in your life. Resist the devil's traps, the trap to try and keep you from God's plans. That's what we're wanting. And honestly, it's so interesting, it says, so humble yourselves before God. Because I think oftentimes what's causing us to hold on to that offense, it's often pride. Often pride is what is hurt in those offenses. And what we have to lay down to be able to let go of the offense is our pride. 
but we can't allow that offense to get in the way of God's plan. Would you all stand with me for a second? Let's do a little work here. I think each and every one of us, Jesus said it, offenses will come. So I think each one of us in this room could say, yeah, I have an offense. So what we need to do is we need to take a moment and let it go. We need to do what the scripture says, forgive anyone who offends us. We need to humble ourselves before God. Resist the devil. How he wants you to take hold of that offense. And the why behind it needs to be so clear, which was the same why for Joseph, was God has plans for you. So don't let the offense get in the way of those plans. Let it go. Choose forgiveness. Joseph chose forgiveness. And he chose God's plans over the offense. John Bevere puts it this way. He says, absolutely no man, woman, child, or devil can ever get you out of the will of God. God has plans for your life. He does. And we look at Joseph's life, and he had to face slavery. He had to face false accusations, imprisonment, forgotten promises. But none of these things could stop God's plans for Joseph. But I wonder if Joseph's story would have ended a little bit differently had he not let go of the offense. God can still show you his love, his blessing, his favor, even when other people mess up in your life. No one else can stop God's plans for you except you by holding on to that offense. So if you would with me, I'd like you to just kind of hold out your hands like this for me. And I want you to take a moment and here's the truth. You can either hold on to the offense or you can hold on to God's plans. You can't hold on to both. So the question you need to ask yourself, you need to ask God, what are you holding? What are you holding? Is it that offense still? New or old? Is it offense from a, a coach or a teacher, an ex? got to let it go. We've got to let it go so that we can hold on to God's plans for our lives. Don't let the offense hinder your life, hinder you getting to see the incredible things that God has planned for you. Be honest with yourself. You don't want the offense. You don't want the bitterness. You don't want the anger. You don't want the resentment. You don't want the feeling of being a victim. You want what God has planned for you. You want what it says in Jeremiah for a future and a hope and plans for good and not disaster. That is what you want. 
And it just takes letting go of those things, those traps of offense in your life. God has such good plans for us. And all I've got to do is let it go. God has too much good planned in your life for you to spend any time living offended. So forgive. Say in your heart, I forgive. I forgive them. Forgive my kid. Forgive my spouse. Forgive that boss. Don't get trapped. My hope and prayer is that you will get to see God's good plans unleashed in your life. So, Father God, thank you first and foremost for forgiving us. God, you're not asking us to do anything that you haven't already done yourself. So, God, we choose to let go of the offense, to not get trapped by it, and we choose to hold on to your good good plans you have for us, God. Let us forgive. Let us let it go. You'll take care of that, God. We only want what you want for us, God. So thank you, Father. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name and everyone said. All right, guys, we love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior and to guide my life, to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text HEAVEN to 94000 to get in contact with our staff where we can answer any questions you may have. Also, if you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer requests by texting prayer support to 94000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text fellowship to 94000 to connect with our staff. As always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week in person or online.